Hey, Lainey. Hey, Amelia. Hey, so did you see my text from earlier? I did. So, yeah, I researched a few of the names that are on our list, and whoa. We are going to need a bigger suspect board. The following is a true story and contains graphic details of a violent crime. Some names will be kept anonymous in order to protect the privacy of those involved. Listener discretion is advised. So thank you for joining our first episode of Murder at Land Between the Lakes. We're really excited to bring some details to you guys today. I'm Lainey Sullivan. I'm here with Amelia Courtney um, to give you a little bit of an update on why we're doing this podcast and some details about the situation. So thanks again for listening. Uh, We want to tell you how we came across this case. Um, I came across this case because a friend of mine, BJ, um, he's a friend of mine from home in Tennessee, and I came across his Facebook page. (laughs) Actually, I saw that he was engaged, and so I started looking at what he'd been doing over the last 20 years, and I saw that he was interested in this murder case um, that you know, it had been posted over the years and I wanted to know like why he was interested in this case. And I kept looking at it and I thought, why is he so interested in this case? And come to find out, um, it was a, it was a double homicide about two young girls that were killed in 1980. Um, Carla Atkins, um, 14 years old and 16 year old, uh, Vicki Stout. And they were BJ's aunts. Um, they were the two aunts that he would never get to meet. And to this day, um, there have still been no solid leads and no arrests for these murders. So at the same time, Lainey and I had been researching um, to start our own podcast. And this opportunity basically, you know, fell in our lap. And so we decided to start digging. And today, um, this is where we are at. And this is what we've uncovered. In this first episode, we're sort of just going to set the scene for you and let you know um, what happened on that um, brutal September day. Yeah. So what did happen that day and why did we start digging into this and become even more interested? One afternoon in Dover, Tennessee on September 17th in 1980, Carla Atkins, 14, and Vicki Stout, 16, had missed the bus for school and their mom's car wasn't working. So they weren't able to get to school, and they just decided they're going to putz around the house, being teenage girls, until finally, around 3.30 p.m., they decided they're going to walk to the local convenience store to buy some snacks. Once they arrived at the furnace store, sources say they purchased some soda and candy, and then they left. Um, When they left, somebody saw them um, being approached by a blue truck that had actually turned around on the highway, Um, and went towards the girls. And so it was noted that the girls went to talk to the person in the truck. No one saw the girls get in the truck, but no one ever saw the girls alive again. The next morning, someone called a youth service officer to report a a skirmish or trouble at the Atkins residence where Carla and Vicki had lived. When the youth service officer arrived, Mrs. Atkins told him that the the girls had not returned after they left home at 3.15 the day before to walk to the store. And local authorities just presumed that the girls had run away and didn't start an immediate investigation for their recovery. I I don't know why she didn't actually report that they were missing earlier than a day after, but, um, but yeah, I guess that was probably one of the reasons that they thought maybe they had run away. Um, 18 days later, on October 5th, 1980, 
The girls' bodies were found in the woods by hikers at a nearby national park called Land Between the Lakes. They immediately contacted the authorities. When they arrived on the scene, it was clear that the girls had been murdered, according to Sheriff David Hicks. From autopsy reports, Vicky was clothed. She was wearing jeans, a blouse, panties, gold necklace, but no shoes or socks. And Carla was found wearing jeans, a red checkered shirt, a bra that was still hooked, underwear, a pink comb, a belt, and a sock and shoe, but only on her right foot. There's a note that Carla received a necklace from her boyfriend and never takes it off. However, it doesn't appear from the notes that it was found on her body. Both girls were shot in the head with a shotgun. A composite sketch of the driver of the blue truck was taken from witnesses and published in the newspaper on October 31st in order to track down the last known person to see the girls. Potentially a suspect or a witness described as a white male, 25 to 30 years old, weighing 165 to 170 pounds. He was said to have dark brown complexion or suntan and dark brown hair. So Lenny, a couple of things I, I want to ask you about and what you just, um, you know, said to everyone. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about the girls' clothing and why it's important that, you know, we talk about they were still wearing their undergarments and their bra was still hooked. I mean, it appears as though the girls had not been sexually assaulted. Um, I think we can, like, talk about that later in, in a later episode about the autopsy reveals. But according to, you know, first appearances, it doesn't appear as though they were sexually assaulted. What yeah. do you think? No, I totally agree. I think the fact that they had their clothes on and they saw no sign um, of sexual assault, it does seem odd that that they would just be shot and still 100% fully clothed. It wouldn't make right. sense that they would take their clothes off and then put their clothes back on. <laughs> Correct. I agree. And the other thing I think is bizarre or I, I find intriguing is that that's an awfully specific weight and height given on this driver, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. well, I don't know if they had the height, but the weight, I mean, if the guy's sitting in the truck, I mean, why, why I wonder why that's so specific. Yeah. How, I don't know. Maybe somebody's like one of the carnival, um, people who are good at guessing the weights of people <laughs> call that wisdom of the crowd I think. Yeah. <laughs> um so let's talk about the girls a little bit um both of the girls had boyfriends at the time and I, I we talked about you know a little bit of in the report that both girls supposedly had had a necklace on and I think um you know Vicky had a gold necklace on when her body was found and Carla it was noted that she had had a silver necklace but we're not sure we're still looking in to see where that necklace came from and where that necklace is now um, but Vicky and Randall Riggins, who we will later discuss in this episode, um, were dating at the time. And Carla was dating someone as well. And we'll leave that name um, to be determined later on. Mm-hmm. We'll, we'll leave that for a later date. Um, the town was a, the town had about um, 1,500 people in it. So pretty much everyone there knew everyone. I, I came from a small town as well. So I think I knew about everyone. <laughs> so I, I know what a small town is, is like. Um, and so everyone knew everyone else's business as well. So we're going to talk to more and more people who knew them personally. So hopefully we can get a better idea about, you know, the girls' personalities, you know, what they were like in school, and just get a better understanding of what these two teenagers were like. You know, were they, you know, just your, you know, typical teenagers? You know, did they appear to be more grown up? And, you know, what kind of, you know, lives were they living at such a young age? Yeah. And then... And then to give you a little bit more background on their family, just to, to kind of get a sense of what their household was like, um, their mom, Margie Harris, married Leland Stout, and she actually had five kids with Mr. Stout. 
um, Trish, Debbie, Randy, Roger, and Vicki. Vicki was the youngest of the kids that she had with Mr. Stout. She then remarried um, William Atkins and had Carla, Brian, and Joel. And they all lived either with Margie or nearby at the time of the disappearance. Um, Vicki and even even though Vicki and Carla were only half sisters, they were still only two years apart. So they were very close and you know like sisters in every in every form of the the word. In the next segment, you will hear a recorded conversation between me and B.J. Gordon. B.J. is Trisha's son. On this call, he gives us an in-depth look into his family and how they have continued their fight for justice. Been and we probably hadn't spoken in about 20 years, and so I wanted to see um, what you'd been up to, and that's actually how I came across this case. Um, I started reading about it, and I was stunned. I didn't know about um, Carla and Vicky, and I was actually wondering um, how you were interested in this case, and you posted, you know, you'd posted it a few times. So I wanted to know. Um, more about it. And so that's why I reached out to you and wanted to know if you and your family would be interested in doing a podcast and seeing if we could try to find some answers. Um, so again, thank you for letting me dive into your family and dive, I mean, dive into the lives of your family a little bit and get a little more personal with you. Not a problem. Um, so tell me a little bit, I want to ask you about your mom and I want to ask you about the girls. And um, what I want to start with from the very beginning is I want to tell you a quote, and this is what really um, got me involved in the case. I saw this quote from your mom. It said, um, they will get their justice someday. They will get what's coming to them, whether it be in my lifetime or not. I want to start with that because that quote like really stuck with me because I, I want to make sure your mom does see this justice. I mean, it was, she was 22 when this happened. So this has been a part of her life, you know, from early adulthood on. So the, this was, we'll, we'll get into like, this was before you were born, but we'll, and we'll get into that in a second. But tell okay. me a little bit about your mom. Um, well, she is a lady of faith, and I think that's what maybe she was uh, referring to as far as that. She's the eldest of all her brothers and sisters, and she's, um, you know, been the one to, to lead the way and trying to find justice, but there's always been kind of a dead-end stop in a local town with local authorities, and uh, nobody's really able to uh, determine why. So... Uh, you know, having you as a resource is, is a blessing, and we are looking for help. And um, she just, uh, she she's the lead. She takes the lead role. And how I got involved uh, is basically just uh, with uh, the vigils and uh, the Facebook post and just uh, staying persistent, hoping that anything new uh, may come this way. And... Um, to, to be quite honest, my birthday is September 17th, 1982, exactly two years to the date of when the girls uh, were murdered. So I've always, uh, you know, felt that that was kind of ironic, and I've been kind of close to the case as much as I could, keeping up, and hopefully I can uh, serve a, a significant purpose in finding closure to this. So that is, that's quite a coincidence that you think that your birthday falls on that same day two years later. Um, that, I mean, tell me about, I mean, more about how you feel about that. Well, it's, it's quite unique, and I've always had this, uh, this feeling that there's, there's something that I could be involved in or something that I should do or should, should know or should notice or take part in, and that, 
that I would ultimately be part of some kind of closure. So these are the, you know, so Carl and Vicky are the aunts that you never got to meet. Um, very That's sadly, you know, very sadly, you never got to meet them, and I'm sure they would have been so proud of you. Um, and so you feel like this is sort of part of your destiny is to find um, some kind of answers and some kind of justice for them? I do. And talking about um, you, when you talked about your mom being the oldest, um, you told me a little bit in one of our earlier conversations a little bit about your uncle Roger. Um, did you want to tell me a little bit about him? Yes, he and I we were uh, really close, and um, at age seventeen, uh, he was the one that um, that had to identify the the bodies. And um, you know, he he's not with us anymore, but uh, throughout his lifetime, he was always looking for closure. And things of that nature too. So it would be something, um, you know, that we'd like to bring, you know, in his memory too, is to find this, uh, you know, answers to this. But uh, he and I, we were really close and talked a lot about it, and it bothered him throughout his life. And he uh, he died at age 55 and never got to see closure. So, uh, you know, in his memory, I think that. Uh, you know, this is something that, that he would love to, uh, would love to have had uh, solved as well. Yeah, that's an awfully um, big task for a 17-year-old, or any teen for that matter, or any adult at all to have to identify your sisters. But at age 17, I mean, that's a big task. Yeah, it, it stuck with him for the rest of his life. It, he had, you know, emotional distress from it. And, um, you know, it's kind of hard to describe in words, I guess, what what he felt. And, and you know, when we would talk and stuff, he'd confide into me. And, uh, you know, he, he I felt that he looked at me kind of special, too, uh, you know, regarding the birthday. You know, he, he felt mm-hmm. that he could confide in, in me and talk to me and give details and things you know, locally that he might have heard or anything of that nature. and um, But, again, basically things always came to a standstill, and it felt like we couldn't find the help that we needed, especially like uh, the uh, attention that, that the case deserved outside of uh, being local. You know, we, we always had wanted something uh, mass media or mm-hmm. or something broader. Some kind of national attention that it never got. Exactly. That's what I thought when I when I first found it on your page. That's the first thing I did was go Google and search and look on every kind of search engine I could find, and I was very frustrated. I couldn't find anything, so that's why I contacted you immediately to see what we could do to try to gain some kind of and garner some kind of national attention somehow. That'd be wonderful if you could help with that. Well, that's what we're asking now. That's what we're going to ask Wonderful. the public and ask all of our listeners to do is to, you know, listen and see what they hear and see what they know. We enter the milestone anniversary dates. Do you find that those dates are helpful with the visuals that you said you attend and all these dates? Um, do you find they're helpful when the case gets brought brought back to the light, you know, brought back to life a little bit? When Does it bring some attention back or is it just too, is it quick? Like, does it come back and then it disappears again? Well, um, First and foremost, it does keep the girl's memory alive. Um, that's a good thing. Um, as normal, it, it comes to light and then it dies down again. That's that's just what the family's used to. 
Uh, but with this milestone and uh, the new resource such as yourself, uh, this this may be it if we can get the media attention and the, the nationwide uh, news to cover like they have similar local murders, like mentioning, say, uh, for example, the Holly Bobo case. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure why the girls never had any coverage like that, but I'm sure there would have been ultimate closure uh, if there had been. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, before we hang up today, um, I do want to ask you one last thing. Um, do you think that after 40 years that um, Carla and Vicky can find justice or we can find justice for them? I think we can. And uh, in my gut, I feel that it's uh, it's close. I, I really do. And this uh uh, just by the coincidence of you uh, finding what I've shared on my page and the help that you can bring forth, it's added new hope, and you're actually a top resource that the family's never had before. And it's also something outside of uh, the local. So um, I, I do. I, I feel that we can find justice and the girls can find justice and um, uh, maybe bring this to closure. That would be fantastic. I I really hope that by putting the podcast forward and trying to get as many, you know, ears on this case and people, you know, start, you know, dig into it, um, you know, rather it be, you know, armchair detectives and they start listening in, um, you know, people will will definitely start, you know, being more aggressive at wanting answers. So hopefully we can get some answers, BJ, for you and your family. And I do hope so, and I would like to, to ask the, the public just to uh, to please consider the family uh, and to uh, to help as much as possible. It's time, a uh, 40-year uh, milestone, like you said. It's, it's just time, and the family, you know, truly does deserve answers. So if there is anybody that does know uh, anything further or can help or bring anything further to light, uh, Please thank all the family members and the lives of the girls and help as much as possible. Well, thank you, BJ. I really appreciate you talking to me. And and we'll be back. We're going to have you back on. Um, As things progress, we're going to have you back on. And and thank you for all the resources resources you've helped with uh, the case as well. And um, and I know you just recently celebrated your birthday as well. So um, there is something to always celebrate on that day, even though there is a lot of sadness as well. There is something to always celebrate. So there's more to come, and definitely we're going to dig into some theories, some rumors, and some things that we were just thinking we might want to dig into. Um, One of those is the Bruce Brothers, and there's a Forensic Files episode it's called Shell Game. We'll actually post the details of it on our Facebook page. We'll put that link on there. Mm-hmm. But that's definitely something that I know is one of the one of the theories specifically about what happened to these two girls. Um, there's others as well. Amelia, do you have any any thoughts on that? Um, you know, there's many things that have you know gone out there. I know the Bruce brothers was something that I think maybe they were just maybe fall guys for this uh, particular case. You know, I don't think anyone really knows for sure, but I know they were violent criminals. And I think either a few of them or all of them are serving, currently serving time. And like we said, if you go look at the face, the forensic files case, you'll see, you know, how violent their crimes really were. But there, you know, there's some ideas of a pregnancy maybe, or, you know, some illegal drug cases going on, not with the girls, but maybe did they see something? Did they know something? Or, you know, 
you know, and the idea that they could have been runaways. We know that wasn't the case because, you know, clearly they were, their bodies were found and they didn't take anything with them. Mm-hmm. So, but did they know their killers? Was it, was it one or, or two or three or multiple people? Um, we really still don't know that answer either. I, yeah. Well, you know, everyone says they only saw, you know, one person in that truck. It was the idea. But um, I think that's the idea that I think the authorities would like to go with. But um, I, I don't know how one person could have taken the two of them and, and, and did what they did. But, um, and everybody believes that if it had been more than one person, one person, you know, would have spoken up by now. But you know how they, what they say, two can keep a secret if one of them is dead. Next time on Murder at Land Between the Lakes. She told me she was pregnant.